Well, hello, and welcome to the... No, that's not going to work. Never mind. Let me back up. Beep, beep, beep. Well, hello, everyone. This is Kevin. And it seems a little odd for me to be starting a completely different podcast. Let me give you a little bit of background on that. I was... Um, producing that other stuff I do this week and I got to thinking I've been doing this for like more than 11 years now I wonder what it would be like taking over someone else's podcast you know coming in in the dark of night with a bloodless coup and taking over another podcast so I started looking around I'm doing a little walk today by the way so my little walk also includes a a one-minute shuffle every now and then, so you may hear some of that going on. But anyway, so I was thinking, maybe I should look around and take over a different podcast. So I went out on iTunes and started looking around at all the running podcasts, and I saw over in the dark corner over there, there was this one called Run Talk Run. And one of the producers, his name's J.D., he was he had his back turned to me and he was on the internet looking up some sort of excruciating detailed weather report right so he wasn't keeping an eye on his podcast the other guy name is Anthony he was bellied up to the bar and he was looking up completely off the wall and ridiculous jokes to post on Facebook and once again He had his nose down in his computer. So neither one of these guys were watching. So I was able to walk right in without firing a shot and steal this podcast. And the thing I like about this particular podcast is that it's just heading out the door and doing what we love to do. And by the way, it's run, walk, run friendly. It's, it's so run, walk, run friendly that they incorporated in the name of the podcast. And uh, of course, being easy to steal didn't hurt either. I'm not in the mood for a fight at my age. So, how is everybody? So here's the deal. I was told that the theme of this particular episode should be something about extremes, right? Over the top, something over the top. Something that is outside your comfort zone, related to running or not. Just anything in your life. So I started giving that some thought and I realized I'm really a safe, I'm really a safe liver. And I don't mean liver like your internal organ. I don't do anything to the extreme. And I don't know if that's good or, or, or too safe. I don't know. I couldn't think of a darn thing that I do or have done to the extreme. You know, I guess some people would say that running for almost 35 years is pretty extreme. Um, It's not to me. It's just part of my life. I did, along with eight of my friends, a 24-hour run one time, relay one time, down in Georgia, the mountains of Georgia. Um, Some people would think that that was rather extreme. It really wasn't extreme to me. It was just a long weekend trip with a bunch of friends doing something I love to do. Um, I think it's extreme, maybe. It's extreme for other people. The fact that I have seven children um, and, you know, if I stop and think about it, that that's a lot. I mean, I've got a whole hockey team and um, I've got a couple of spare folks on the bench. If I uh, 
if I borrow a couple people from your team, I've got a baseball team. But it was never extreme to me. It's just, you know, it's just my life. So maybe that's, maybe that's why I should uh, look at getting outside the box a little bit. And maybe that should be on my bucket list to do something outside the box that not that, that you wouldn't call extreme, but that I would call extreme myself. So I guess I, guess I got something to think about. My kids are all gone this weekend, so it's just my wife and I, which is a weird feeling. Without kids running around in the house, we slept in this morning till about 8.30. We got up and we went down to the neighborhood Starbucks and sat quietly and chatted and had a cup of coffee. Then we went for about a three-mile walk, just the two of us. Pretty cool. Um, and then... Uh, came home and oh there's my there's my little run break and I'm getting out for about another I don't know two and a half three miles I'm calling this one a walk I walk for five minutes and shuffle for a minute but I'm calling it a walk so really that's all I got it's been fun stealing this podcast but I think I'll get back to where I feel more comfortable with my own and maybe pass this one off anybody want this one while I'm while I've got it going while I got it started anybody want to take over the run talk run podcast not everybody raise your hands now one at a time raise your hands who's that in the back Come on. Ah, it's just plain Dave. Just plain Dave. Why don't you take the podcast? You got anything extreme going on in your life? Well, thank you, Kevin. As you said, this is just plain Dave in southeastern Massachusetts. And I am out for a cool down walk with my canine. Actually, here's an interesting observation. I wonder if this is true in everyone else's parts of the world. Uh, You know those little... Uh, four-legged furry creatures with a cotton tail that go bounding around. You know, they also reproduce like crazy, so there's lots and lots of them around. And in my neck of the woods in southeastern Mass, I have noticed recently that those wild rabbits have short ears. So they're definitely rabbits. They have cotton tails and they bound just like a rabbit. Um, But I'm wondering if this is a New England thing that they don't need the big ears in order to radiate heat and to cool off like you might see a jackrabbit in the desert. Um, Or if it's a way to avoid predators, to make them less tall um, so they're not as big a target for things like foxes or hawks. Anyway, that is not why I thought I would call in to the Run Talk Run podcast. I was thinking of a story. So... I don't know about you, but I think last week was Shark Week all over the interwebs and on the television. Um, At least I saw many references to Shark Week. And um, my daughter and I went to see a movie and there's there's a preview for something called Megalodon, which apparently is the dinosaur version of a really giant shark. Um... And uh, I, I don't think that I don't think that I'll be watching that movie. Um, though I do have fond memories of seeing Jaws when it came out in the movie theaters back in the day. But because of that, I was talking about sharks, and it made me, got me thinking about this one situation. So when I I'm, I'm a geologist by training, and my all my graduate research was done on ships, and. Uh, I sailed on a bunch of research cruises, and when I was one of the lead scientists on a study, you know, you get to be the principal scientist and you get to write papers and things like that. But because I was a fairly experienced marine geologist, and when I was a young man, I had a rule that said, if someone offers me a trip somewhere in the world, you go and see what happens. So while I was in grad school, I got asked to be a science crew member 
on a cruise, a research cruise, on which I had no affiliation. So I was literally a laborer. Um, I was a pair of hands, but just experienced with the tools and equipment that we'd be using. And this uh, research cruise was on a ship operated by the Scripps Institution of Oceanography in uh, outside San Diego. I think it's in La Jolla, California. Um, but just because the ship operates out of Scripps does not mean that that's where you sail from. Um, and so we were sailing on a leg of the cruise that went from Easter Island in the Central Pacific to Acapulco, Mexico. So research cruises kind of just get lined up and they put a full staff of scientists on the ship and they have scientists doing all sorts of different things at the same time. So when you're steaming from location to location, and I know steaming, that's, these were probably not steamships at a really big diesel engine. When you are motoring from location to location, um, they were doing side scan sonar and checking out the bathymetry of the seafloor and doing other studies that you can do from a moving ship. And when the ship was stationary, we'd be on station, um, the different the scientific crew would be working on other things. And so whether it was um, sedimentologists, so we would push these big cores down into this, the mud on the seafloor, and we could then study how things, the, the, the shells of creatures that have uh, floated around, the plankton that was floating in the ocean, when those plankton die, their shells are deposited on the seafloor, and we can learn a lot about ocean chemistry, climate change, uh, history of oceanic flows, blah, 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 interesting science. But so the sedimentologists and the oceanographers would work together um, as a volcanologist, someone studying volcanoes. My focus was when we'd be near an, over, an underwater volcano, a, uh, a seamount, we would often dredge and with a big old metal crane-like uh, grabber, um, dredge the seafloor and try to pull up some rocks and so we can study that. And then, of course, there were biologists on the ship because when we dredged with the rocks, we would also pull up critters. And some of those were pretty interesting, especially because we were in the very deep Pacific Ocean. So I was not a lead scientist on this cruise. I was a deckhand. And deckhands work 12 hours on, 12 hours off. And because the ship is doing science 24 hours a day, like literally, except for the points where you're kind of... Um, cruising in and out of harbor, um, the ship would be doing science almost the entire time. And so the science crew worked just as hard as the ship's crew, and that was a 12 hours on, 12 hours off shift. And frankly, when there were things got exciting and there was a lot of action happening, it didn't matter if your shift was off, you still got up there and you helped. And so, uh, so being, a, being a, a science crew person on a ship like this was hard work. Um, very entertaining, very interesting. It was really cool to see stuff that you, you don't get to see anywhere else in the world. Um, but it was hard work. It was, it was definitely a full-time, hands-on job. And so, back to Shark Week. One of the interesting things we got to do was a swim call. Now, ships do, um, you know, discharge things into the ocean, like waste and, you know, food products that weren't consumed. And so there's the risk when you're out in tropical waters, um, especially when you're on station and so the ship is in one place for a while, that there is a risk of sharks. And so the, uh, there would always be someone up on the, when the ship was on station, there'd be someone up on the, the captain's bridge and there's kind of a wing off the side of the bridge where someone would be standing watch. And that way, if we're, you know, we're out working on the side of the ship, sending tools down and bringing equipment up, um, we wanted to be very alert in case there were sharks. And we saw a couple sharks. I don't remember, I don't remember anything big or dramatic or anything that I'd want to write home about. Um, because back then there was no internet, so if you wanted to write home, you literally wrote a letter and then put it in the mail when you got to land. Anyway, so one of the nice rewards we could have is after we had been steaming for a while, so moving from place to place, so once the ship is going pretty good and steady, there's, we kind of drop, ditch any uh, creatures that might be following us. So we might get, right as we're approaching station, the, the captain would give us a heads up and give the crew warning that, you know, for 15 minutes or 20 minutes when we got on station, we'd have a swim call. And so I have this one recollection, this great memory, of doing a swim call. And the ship, we had been cruising from Easter Island, so that's um, off the coast of Chile um, in South America. So it's south of the equator. 
and we were cruising towards the equator. And so at that point, we were roughly five or six hundred miles from Easter Island, which put us more than a thousand miles from any other piece of land. So literally, this was one of the places in the Pacific Ocean that you could be, you were as far from a piece of land as was humanly possible. And, um, but we were also very near the equator. And so um, I don't even know what time of year it was. It doesn't probably matter what time of year it was because the ocean water near the equator is crazy warm, like bathtub warm. Um, my, my honest recollection is it was around 90 degrees Fahrenheit, the ocean water. And so one of the interesting things about this, it's, it's the highest dive, and I'll call it a dive, the highest jump I have ever done to go swimming. The, um, the, the wing off the captain's bridge was roughly 60 feet above the waterline, and it extended out over the side of the ship. And so a few of us were brave enough, I'll call it crazy enough, to, uh, to jump off of that bridge. And I, I mean landing feet first. There's no way I was going to do that head first. I was uh, trying to protect my, protect my brain back in the day. Um, but so anyway, this is as high as I've ever jumped like into a body of water. But the other interesting aspect that made this kind of an extreme event was that it's by far the deepest water I have ever gone for a swim in. I, I recall, I could have done a little research before making this call, but I recall that it was over a mile deep. So we were a thousand miles from land, swimming in water more than 5,000 feet deep, and it was crystal clear and blue and kind of magical. So one of those things that you kind of, you don't have a lot of opportunities to, uh, to do later in life. Um, another interesting aspect of that, so the ship that we were on I believe it was painted red. I have this memory of it being painted red. But I borrowed a snorkel and fins and swam down under the hull of the ship, which was probably, it probably extended 20 to 30 feet below the sea, sea line. And I, I was spending a lot of time on ships. So I, um, with fins, I could do that. I don't think I could have free dove under the ship. But so as I dove from one side of the ship and swam up underneath, I remember looking at all the other people who were swimming and doing the swim call. And it's this beautiful, clear water. And all you see are legs treading water. And I had the, the thought that if I was a great white shark, I would be looking up at a little um, snack bar of sausages, like all these little sausagey legs out there um, treading water in the great wide, great big blue ocean. So the combination of Shark Week last week, combination of the heat of the summer and going for a swim, and then this... Uh, recollection of doing all the research cruises when I was in graduate school. I, if I had Desmond, I think I did six or seven research cruises. Um, and three of those were ones where I was not a scientist involved in the kind of, in the actual research program. And I think it's still a good rule of thumb. I would keep following that rule. If someone offers me a trip somewhere, even if I have to be their deckhand and be a, be a laborer, then I will, uh, I will go along on that trip because it's a great way to see something interesting and see something different. So, from southeastern Massachusetts, with a story that has nothing to do with running in southeastern Massachusetts, this is Just Plain Dave, and I would like to hear from JD. Next up, JD. Well, thank you, Dave. That was just plain decent of you. Just plain Dave. So, all right. The baton has been handed over to me. Feels kind of weird to be the third person in my own show. But, uh, and you know what? shake things up, right? Sometimes it's good to have uh, stuff happen that you don't expect. Because uh, sometimes it can create a really good story for later. So since the theme of today is <coughs> extreme events, I have a fun story about my trip to Tucson, Arizona back in 1994. 
So, <coughs> this was my very first trip to Arizona. I have made two so far. I intend to make at least one more in my lifetime. As I have a cousin that lives down there. And I'm thinking that Tucson's probably going to be the venue for my Arizona Marathon. Um, yeah, it's another one of those that happened right around the same time as Jeff Galilee. So whenever I decide to do that, that will be a, uh, a virtual run year for me with Jeff Galloway. But anyway, so on to my story. <coughs> so, I was uh, traveling out and if memory serves, I was traveling out from Rochester, where my sister lives. Well, of course, this is 1994, okay? So, prior to this trip, my sister and I sat up in her apartment watching the uh, 35 to 40 mile an hour car chase that won O.J. Simpson led the Los Angeles police on. So, this trip was already going to start out as something that was going to be odd or quirky, to say the least. So that's what I went to sleep with. Anyway, flight from Rochester to Chicago was, was uneventful. Um... Of course, whenever you get to Chicago here, you can never really call what happens next uneventful. Chicago is huge. Um, if you've never been there, it's confusing. <clears throat> and there are a lot of people mixed in together who know exactly where they need to go where there's many, if not more people, who have no idea where they need to go. And it just creates this beehive chaos of humanity milling around amongst the several terminals. Well, I was flying American Airlines. This is in June. So, get on our plane. It's, it's 90 degrees in Chicago that day. And again, this is 1994, so this is before all the security stuff after 9-11. So I get on the plane, I get my seat, which was an aisle seat. And back then you were able to look down the aisle and see the, uh, the curtain that separated the, uh, the pilots from the rest of the plane, because again, it was, it was not a door yet. It was just a curtain. And a uh, little side fact. I didn't know this. The, uh, the circulation of air for the pilots is better than what passengers get. I don't remember the actual figures, but I want to say, like, the cabin... Um, gets recirculated, I think, like once every six minutes, where it's like once every two minutes or something like that in the uh, the cockpit. So they have much fresher air. Their air is getting scrubbed a lot more. So there you go. Food for thought. Anyway, we're on the plane. Sit down. I realize it's really, really warm on this plane. Well, I'm assuming to try and conserve fuel, I had not turned on the air conditioning. And yes, we're in a metal tube, and it's 90 degrees outside. Definitely warmer 
on the tarmac. <coughs> Meanwhile, I'm looking down the aisle, and there's the pilot's curtain fluttering in the breeze, because he's got AC, even though I don't. So people start to grumble, and so the AC goes on, and then we sit for a bit, and then the AC goes off again. And we're just sitting and sitting, and you're starting to feel the beads of sweat form on your brow, all the while the pilot's curtain is fluttering in the breeze, because that son of a gun's got AC. Well, not too much longer after that, people are very audibly grumbling again. AC goes back on. And now we finally start to get underway. So we taxi, and taxi, and taxi, and taxi, and taxi. And we get that little message over the loudspeaker of what position we're in, which was not first. So I was like, okay, we're going to be here for a bit. And then once again, the AC goes off. And now we sit here without AC. I kid you not, for about 20 minutes. Well, needless to say, this was not a happy bunch of passengers. And it almost looked like this was going to get into uh, some nasty business when all of a sudden the AC goes back on and we start moving. And we're making good time for the runway now. Pilot gets on as we're like next in line to get on the uh, the runway and take off for Tucson and says, sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we had a temporary brownout here at Chicago O'Hare and we didn't know where anybody was. So that was the reason for the, uh, for the delay, but we'll be making up the time on our way to Chicago. Thank you and have a pleasant flight. Well, at that point, I'm not sitting here going, wait a minute. I'm on this multi-ton flying bus on a runway where lots of multi-ton flying buses are buzzing around and you're telling me for 30 seconds you didn't know where anybody was? I want to take a regular bus now. Hell, I want to walk to Tucson at this point. Um, so of course we take off. We're fine. So we make our way down and I suppose the uh, pilots thought, hey, this has been a crappy wait. We'll, uh, we'll tell you stories. We'll, uh, we'll entertain you. Um, rule to pilots. You're not Seinfeld. Please don't entertain. It doesn't make things better. All right. So, of course, we we're flying over Wichita. And they let us know we're flying over Wichita. And if you'd like to see Wichita, you can look down now. Well, I'll tell you right now, from 36,000 feet, Wichita didn't look like much. So I'm not sure why it was noteworthy to tell us about it. But he did. And at that point, he said, all right, well, we're headed southwest from Wichita, which I guess was a waypoint. And we're going to be headed over uh, Albuquerque. And then... Here was his big joke. We're going to hang a right at Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah, nobody laughed. <laughs> nobody laughed. Well, we did hang a right at Albuquerque and made our way over the mountains that surround Tucson and made our way to final approach. Well, I'd never been to Tucson before. All I know 
Tucson's in Arizona. Arizona's a desert. And what's in a desert? Sand, right? So I'm expecting to see sand or some facsimile of sand. But you know what's actually in Tucson? Scorched earth. That's really what you have. Dirt that looks like it's been put in a kiln. It's this deep, reddish, brown-looking stuff. And from the air, it don't look pretty. So we are uh, making our way in. Pilot, of course, says, Ladies and gentlemen, we're making our approach. We may not be able to go to the jetway because there's a storm in the area. We'll let you know once we touch down whether or not we can approach the jetway. So we're making our bank in the Tucson, coming on down. I'm looking at the ground. The ground is reddish brown. The sky is positively an iridescent green. That's what this storm looked like. And I think I'm landing on Mars now. And I'm wondering, you know what? I hear Kansas City's nice. Maybe I should have gone to Kansas City. Get me a steak. So, anyway, we land and we pull five feet from the jetway. And they shut the entire plane down. Well, it was 90 and Chicago, it's probably 103 in Tucson, and off goes our AC. Meanwhile, there's the pilot's curtain flapping in the breeze, because that bastard's got AC. They get on, and they say, sorry, there's a storm within five miles of the airport, and FAA rules say, we can't go to the jetway until it moves more than 10 miles away. Well, at this point, this dude behind me always seems to be somebody that sits like right behind me. Because if you don't open that door, I'm going to open it and jump to the jetway. Get me the hell off this plane. To which many other passengers went, yeah. Yeah, if we all stand up right now, um, what are you gonna do? Yeah, it was it was not it was not pleasant on that plane. Well, that was a three-second phone call from the stewards to the cockpit, and all of a sudden the plane goes back on, and we move the ten feet back to the jetway, and then it was the very very quick. Saturday Night Live. Bye-bye, 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 as they hustled us right off that plane. So, that was going. I figured, wow, what a flight. So now it's eight days later. I'm making my trip back. So, it's already 102 in Tucson. And I hop on my multi-ton bus, sit down next to the window seat I got this time. They board everybody, close the door, pull away from the jetway, and then shut the plane down. Meanwhile, there's the pilot's curtain flapping in the breeze. And they let us know, well, we're sorry. There's a storm in Chicago. Like they didn't know that as we were getting on the plane. We're just going to wait here (coughs) to see if it passes. (coughs) And I'm thinking, um, I'm sitting on this plane. It's 102. It is quickly rising above 80 degrees on this plane. And that... Terminal is air-conditioned. 
why are we not sitting in the terminal if you had no plans on leaving? Although I know why. Once they pull away from the jetway, it's called an on-time departure, even though you don't go anywhere. <clears throat> That's their little game. So, we do this AC, no AC, yet again, about every 10 minutes, for about a half an hour. Until finally they turn the plane back on and go, all right, folks, we're just going to go. This storm's going to be there all day. Like they didn't know that 20 minutes ago. So we take off. This group decided not to crack jokes on the way back, though. But they weren't kidding about Chicago being sucked in. So we passed through five banks of clouds before we finally broke through the uh, lowest cloud bank and actually saw the ground. Well, it was so low, I kid you not, it was probably 150 feet over the ground. So literally, we popped out of the clouds and there was the ground and in about 30 seconds later, we were on the runway. It startled me so much. If you're coming in from one direction into O'Hare, you actually go over a large rail yard. When we popped out, I'm looking out my window. One second I'm seeing nothing. And the next second, I'm seeing the ground 150 feet underneath me and a train coming at us. Now, train was always going to go underneath us. But I just instinctively lift my feet as if, you know, hey, lift your feet and the train won't hit your feet. Right? It's crazy. So we land. I'm like, wow. What a flight. Glad we're done, though. Well, and then there's the flight back to Rochester. So we leave. And we take off for Rochester. And on our landing in Rochester, we hit the ground so hard that we actually bounced. You could feel the back wheels bounce and the plane lift up and very slightly list to the right and then come back down and slam back down. And once again, the dude sitting right frickin' behind me yells out, I really hate it when the runway surprises you like that. Which I'm sure was meant for the pilots who definitely could hear it because they don't have a door. It's 94. They got a curtain. And they got us to the jetway. And once again, it was the bye-bye, 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 bye-bye. We're not going to talk about this one. That was a bad landing. So... That's my story. There's my extreme story for you. So, uh, I'm going to continue on with this run and turn this show over to my good buddy and fellow Pennsylvanian, Mr. Steve Hailstone. Take it away, Steve. JD. JD. No, over here. All right. All right. Oh, man, they can run into me. Okay. All right, getting this party started there. Workout started. GPS on. All right, man. Thought JD was gonna run into me. First, he didn't see me. Then, because I'm running on a boardwalk, he's uh, looking for me. I think because I wasn't wearing my glasses, he just didn't notice me. So, second uh, second time I'm trying this. But uh, let's see, I think I'm on the fourth leg of this relay. And I'm not going for speed, but just getting out here, passing along to you. Some experiences as we are running on this, this weekend out here. So I, unfortunately, I had to have JD come all the way out to Ocean Grove, New Jersey. I think it's just supposed to be a mile. 
each leg. But anyway, he's a good sport, as you all know. Oh, a couple of things, a couple of stories to relate to you on this relay. Uh, by the way, Steve Hailstone here, running in Ocean Grove, New Jersey, on the boardwalk. When I was a freshman in high school, I had gone out for the track team. Completely new to me. Uh, didn't want to be a sprinter. Wanted to be a distance runner. So, my very first competition. Now, let's say, very first meet. The high school I was attending hosted a national team from Taiwan. And it was just Taiwan against our high school. And the coach put me in another freshman named Sam put us in a two-mile race. I guess that was for experience. But uh, Sam and I just went along at our own pace. I think I was wearing a pair of Kmart shoes that had a pretty worn sole, pretty flat, uh, similar to what I'm wearing today. A very worn Merrill barefoot, about five years old. Of course, back then I would have outgrown my shoes faster. So we went out at our own pace and the speedy guys took off. So we had a guy in our track team. He had moved from West Virginia out to California. And he supposedly he was the fastest freshman miler in West Virginia. He ran a 426. So Sam and I went out and we eventually got lapped two times. So we were nice and slow. Just like we are today. Uh, after the race, Sam commented to me, how could you talk the entire time? So, talking and running is really nothing new, I guess, to me. And it was set up for that back in 1979, I guess. I'm trying to think. My, no, that would be 78. Track season, 78. So, uh, wow, 40 years. 40 years ago, raining with Sam Sutherland. And it was kind of a funny event. We just enjoyed our run. Got lapped twice. The only event that our high school won was the mile. And that was John Kaiser pulling it off with his 426 miler. Let's see, one other thing to relay, another story. My wife thought of it, this one. Uh, we moved into a house in Pennsylvania, our first one, and uh, we met our neighbor. Her name was Kitty. And in the backyard was a tall white pine tree. And one of the first things Kitty said to us was, Hey, do you think you'll be planning on taking that pine tree down? She hated all the needles that littered her driveway. So we, we didn't have any intention. And I, I kind of liked the sound of the wind blowing through the pines. So uh, I was, I was uh, more apt to um, keep it around. Well, eventually our, our resistance wore down from Kitty nagging us, reporting us that you know, the pine needles clogged 
things up and when water overspilled because it couldn't drain and it got icy and she would slip and fall we finally consented to remove the tree so had a couple of guys from church they're part of a small group one guy was the the monkey in the tree he'd climb it chainsaw in hand steady himself with ropes and then also arranged to have ropes tied to some of the larger branches so that when they came down they did not uh, land on the fence or the neighbor's yard and so that was the way things were going the monkey in the tree a guy beneath him to kind of steady him and then two of us out in the yard to pull the branches off to the side and get them out of the way help them to come down gently well there was one branch that was pretty good size and we told hold on tight so we got Dave the monkey up in the tree Scott at the base and then Jeff and I holding a rope to make sure that we can let those branches down. The big branch is coming down. It snaps. It lets loose. Jeff lets go of the rope. Steve holds onto the rope. Steve leaves the earth projected a few feet. Not, not too bad, but pretty funny uh, event where my friend had just kind of let me float by myself. Working without a net. Oh, we all had a good laugh. So there's a couple of shares, stories to uh, relay to you. I'm sure you hear this joke throughout the relay. But um, yeah, those are mine. Oh, one other, if I have the time, got two-tenths of a mile. I was stationed in Korea in 1986. And the place we worked on, the top, top of, was a hill. So we had these posts where we'd go up to, and it was on the top of this pretty steep hill. Well, one thing about these hills, I didn't know at the time, until this incident was they were uh, sitting on top of jet fuel storage tanks. And one day there was a and then a boom, and then fire and billowing smoke. And we all were just told to exit, run down the hill fast as we could and take cover. So we did. Uh, what we later learned was that the fuel lines ran down along the road on the hill well, we, where we were taking safety measures. Thankfully, nothing else happened. Unfortunately, a couple of workers did lose their life. They must have bumped into something that caused a spark. So exciting times. I guess the only running involved there was booking down the hill. Alright. I think I'm starting to see Anthony in sight here. Better pick up the pace to make it look like I was making some sort of effort. Kind of like JD when he passed off to me. So, we'll pick up the pace. I know I'm sweating because it's just a humid day. Gotta make it look good, you know? And sound good for the podcast. Time 10 minutes, 33 oh. seconds. Distance one mile. Anthony, Anthony, here you go. All right, oops, there you go. Almost strapped. All right, leg done. Steve signing off.
Hey, good morning. It's Anthony. Bringing up the rear. Which is funny, my wife tells me I don't have a rear. <laughs> Sorry. I'm uh, following up uh, Steve. Steve, thank you for your words, your thoughts. Dave, thank you. JD, Kevin, I guess. Kidding. Uh, <clears throat> I'm uh, about mile 15. I got five to go. Four and a half, sorry. Um, training run, I guess we'll call it. I got to start saying that because I don't ever feel like I'm training. I guess if I'm not feeling that way, I'm having fun. Uh, I started about, see what time is it here? Nine o'clock, that's about right. Started just after six this morning. I wanted to start sooner, but first I got to sleep at night in the week instead of during the day. I just didn't want to get out there. Matter of fact, I'm looking forward to going to bed tonight because I get to sleep at night all week. I feel like a human again. So, this, uh, considering the rain we've had, the trail's in pretty good shape. It's not the trail by the house. It's the one that uh, starts in York and heads south. We started at Brailhart Station Road. And uh, <clears throat> 60 degrees to start. Can't complain about that. I mean, even now it feels okay. Most of this trail is shaded. So that's good. Sorry about that. Every time you shoot. Uh, knock on wood, this run's been going pretty well so far. I mean, I could have used more sleep, that's for sure. But, uh, it's telling I'm getting near the end here. I've been doing 45, 15. A couple extra long walk breaks in the middle. But, uh, feel all right but I'm on a flat trail so and most of it's in the shade like I said but uh, I mean I'm seeing some sub ten and a half minutes and for a run walk I'm very pleased with that now <clears throat> start adding hills I don't know about that let's see let's see what Baltimore brings us <coughs> Burden hand in half. I'm not too worried about yet. Not going with. That'll just be good. We got good people there. Morning. Matter of fact, that's not far off, is it? That's uh, just over a month away, actually. That'll be fun. Looking forward to that. And about a about a month and a half after that is the full marathon in Baltimore with Mr. Darling, Mr. Daly, doing a hafe. And I forget who else is going. I'm getting a little slap happy now. Huh. I'll tell you one thing. Days like this. I sure love body glide. My God. People don't make enough money. <laughs> then again, what it costs to buy a stick of that stuff, maybe they do. But, uh, works pretty well. I mean, you figure 15 miles into it and you're sweating. I can't complain. It's not until I hit the shower anyway. Then we'll see. Screwed up my run walk there. See, I can't run, walk, and talk at the same time. Uh, <clears throat> trying to think of a story that's exciting or quirky or interesting. I don't know. I had an interesting week at work. And uh, bad enough, 
working at night again. But when the other half can't run the train around a Christmas tree, it's like you're doing work for two people. And uh, that part gets old in a hurry, but <sighs> people think that when they're tired, they can come to work and rest. That's how it works. Easier said than done. But, uh, I mean, it was a long week because they were 12 hour nights. And I finally got used to by the end of the week, of course, now I'm switching to daylight. And who knows for how long. The downside to this railroad and stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'll pause it. I think of a store. We have a whole lot to talk about. I know you all your jaws just hit the floor. Hard to believe. Give me a minute, I'll be back. Alright, I'm back. Sorry about that. Figures I paused it. Came up on a guy eating a goo gel. Goo gel. Yeah. He just dropped it in the ground. I gave him the old. <clears throat> he stopped, went back, and picked it up. So, I'm sure if I wasn't there, I'd still be laying there. That seems to happen a lot on this bike trail, and that's really, that's really a shame, because, you know, you had, to, you had to respect a place like this. You have the freedom to run here and not worry about cars. You know, you got the occasional horse, bike rider, or bike, bicyclist, but, you know, not as bad as some person just willy-nilly throws their stuff on the ground you brought it out you can certainly take it back out with you and it's lighter than it was before morning so there's a shade of people will, nobody's looking just throw it on the ground and Wash their hands from it. I mean, I, I, I'm on my third. I took three to every five miles. In the long run, I'll take a few. I just have my third one. <clears throat> and they're in empty packets are in my pocket. Take them out. Throw them in the garbage can. Pretty amazing concept, I know. I know. Yeah. What else can I babble about. I don't know. Paused it for a while there. I'm almost at you know, 16 and a half. Uh, well, I guess I could say it's been an interesting 30 days. The reason I brought that up is there's been a lot of ups and downs in the last month. You know, life happens. It's all right. Some good things, some bad things. And, uh, today's the 29th. So yeah, 30 days ago, I was sworn in as a U.S. citizen. It's a good thing. Very happy about that. Very humbled. And uh, I guess it was a week later. We had to put our we're a dog down. And, uh, not trying to be a Debbie downer, but I didn't realize how much I missed that dog until this was yesterday. I had to go out on the deck to, I forgot something after doing yard work, and it hit me that that was the first time in a month, not on purpose, but that I hadn't gone out that door because I don't have a dog to let out. And, uh, my wife was in the room when it happened. She just gave me that, you know, sad face. Because she knew, and I knew. I was like, oh, man, that's a problem. So, but we're in the hunt for another puff. We're not in a hurry. Because uh, that last dog, I tell you what, one hell of a dog. More behaved than most children. 
No. At least mine anyway, sorry. Uh, what else? Get on to the happy stuff. Made my 40th trip around the sun. Doesn't feel so bad. Of course, it was kind of funny. Woke up that morning with a sore back. <laughs> the day of my birthday. I was, this is how it starts, huh? Just get a sore back from sleeping. But it was a fun birthday. We were out in Michigan with the family at Devil's Lake. Had a lot of fun. Played on the water. I didn't get much running in. Because I spent most of my week on jet skis and tubes. And <clears throat> I guess the older you get, the more they beat you up. I didn't come home with bruised ribs this year, though, so that's good. There's a story I could tell. Last year, same lake, same jet ski, yours truly tried to be a show-off. The water was rough. And I'm cutting back and forth and hitting the waves in the wake. And I go by the lake house where everyone's in the yard watching and waving. And my sister-in-law's boyfriend's standing there. And, you know, I cut that thing and I hit a good wake. And that thing just slapped me and launched me. Well, the jet ski stayed there. I went about another 10 feet and skipped on the water about 40 miles an hour. And the second I hit that water, I knew it was bruised ribs. I did it before in a mud race a couple of years ago. And uh, that's a hell of an injury for not having me broken. Just sleeping was a chore. And, uh, oh, sorry about that. But uh, I guess that's my story. I'm really not being very exciting here, I'm sorry. I mean, I really am a professional BS artist. I won't deny that, but not when I'm learning. Not when I'm on stage under the spotlight. Not spotlight, that's the wrong word. I don't like to think too far ahead. <laughs> I suppose that's a curse and a gift. Uh, but I should probably shut up now. Seeing that I'm bringing up the rear. I'm the caboose of this here train. Ha! A little railroad jargon. Now, I will leave you with those two funny things I thought of. because Railroad stories are always my favorite. And I too many to remember. But some of the things you hear people say really make you question their education and upbringing. <laughs> One of my favorites was uh, years ago I was working with a gentleman a new conductor and uh, we're coming back from New Jersey back to Harrisburg and we called uh, getting up the mountain there's a called the Lehigh line and for about an eight mile stretch not eight that's wrong probably about yeah maybe it is eight you're pulling uphill well at the very top of this hill is a tunnel. Matter of fact, I measured it one day. Being a runner, we have measured everything with the trains anyway. 4,999 feet long. Now, as a runner, that's not far. As a railroader, I guess it's still not far, but you know, it's a long tunnel. Anyway, this guy was a few bricks short of a full load and he pulling up this hill and he hadn't said a word for probably an hour or two and out of nowhere he says this tunnel that go the whole way through the mountain <laughs> right when he said it we went in the tunnel thank god it's black in there because i wanted to slap him purple dumbfounded and that was it he didn't speak for like another hour Pretty amazing. So there's my little story, I guess. I've been babbling for 15 minutes now, so. Uh, <clears throat> I got just under three miles to go. I'll hit 20. I'll go home. 
shower, eat a ton, hang out, and get to the honeydew list, I guess. So, Kevin, thank you. Dave, thank you. JD, thanks for putting this together. Appreciate it. Steve, thanks for coming along. Love to hear your voices. Love to hear your stories. And uh, <clears throat> I guess we'll talk to you guys later. Turtles. Show notes for Run Talk Run are available at runtalkrun.blogspot.com. This show is available at iTunes and Google Play. Please be sure to visit both those sites and rate us highly. That helps other people find this show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.